everyone, Abby here. I just wanted to pop in and do a quick intro for you to explain how this episode's a little bit different than the other ones that you've heard before. Lauren and I got the opportunity to chat with Jenny Tiramani from the School of Historical Dress to discuss her career, her views on history and costuming, but most importantly, to discuss the book that she's been working on for the past several years, which is Patterns of Fashion 5. The content, cut, construction, and context of body stays, hoops, and rumps circa 1595 to 1795, uh, which is available for pre-order now on their website at schoolofhistoricaldress.org.uk. And then it's going to be published at the end of the month around Halloween. So if you haven't heard about this book yet, definitely go and check it out and pre-order it now. Trust us, we got some background information and some sneak peeks, and it's going to be incredible. So this episode is part one, and then we're going to have part two next week because we ended up chatting with Jenny for about, well, over two hours. Uh, so yeah, I really hope you enjoy this episode. It's going to be awesome. And if you're a subscriber, please don't forget to leave us a good review. Um, it helps other people find us who are looking for new and exciting uh, podcasts to listen to. And if you are just popping in for the first time, please subscribe if you enjoy the show and leave us a review as well. Other than that, I'll catch you guys later. Bye. Have a good one. Ha, gather up your best regalia. We're all strutting by azaleas. Party in that hot house round the block. Oh, shovel on up for our greenhouse stomp. And welcome to another exciting episode of Fashion History with American Duchess. I'm Lauren. And I'm Abby. And that was Dandy Wellington's Greenhouse Stomp is our uh, theme music. You can find him at Dandy Wellington on Instagram and Facebook. Yes. We are here with uh, Jenny Tiramani today, who we are very excited yes. to talk to. The famous Jenny Tiramani. The Jenny Tiramani. Of the School of Historical Dress and Patterns of Fashion yes. 5. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Hello there. Hi. Uh, why, don't you... <laughs> why don't you tell us a little little bit about yourself for readers who may not know you uh, listeners. Readers, <laughs> listeners listeners who may not know you yeah okay um so um I'm a Londoner I'm I'm 64 years old and I went to art school uh in a time when there were art schools in England that weren't part of universities mm-hmm. so um I'm completely unqualified I think <laughs> in language for anything um uh, and and I did theatre design at art school for four years. And for 40 years after that, uh, I was a theatre designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting that, of course, now your listeners will mm-hmm. probably all think about me in relation to costume and historical dress. Yes. Um, and and the books yeah, you know the globe. Or, or perhaps one yeah the shakespeare's globe or yeah. one of the shows i've done that's toured america the, i've had several operas on in america so so uh that has principally been costume work but actually i i trained as a set you know a stage designer and costume and in england generally you do the whole thing a bit more than in america in america i've noticed that you generally tend to have two designers one that does the stage, one does the frocks. Mm. And and so 
I, I did used to love that holistic side of things, and that's what I did for 20-odd years. But then uh, I went, I, I'd done about, I think I'd done three productions with Mark Rylance, with his own little theatre company, uh-huh. with Mark and his partner Claire, uh-huh. who now is a director and writer in her own right, and then yes. was writing the music for our shows and often playing live. So the three of us did uh, several Shakespeare productions, and, and we... We love to do them in modern dress. Mm. You know, uh, I've always loved Shakespeare in contemporary dress. It's kind of how it was often done originally. Yeah. You know, there was a lot <laughs> of dress in Elizabethan London theatre. And and I loved making sense of the plays uh, to make them real people that we yeah. all relate to and to dress them accordingly. So we did an As You Like It in New York, off-Broadway, you know, where we... And as, as you like, it's a fantastic play for America because mm-hmm. of the deer hunting, mm-hmm. which is much more common in parts of America than it is in the UK, yes. etc. So we tapped into the Duke's casino being in Las Vegas. <laughs> you know, I mean, in modern terms, the Duke, yeah. uh, uh, the, um, Celia's father. So, so we, you know, we went shopping in New York and bought lovely evening dresses for the two main women, etc., etc. I mentioned that because um, then Mark got the job of first artistic director of the Globe when it wasn't mm. finished, and because I was his designer, yeah, he asked me to help him because um, the board of the Globe had assumed they do shows in Elizabethan dress, and. Mark and I didn't have a taste of that. <laughs> oh my God. So, in Mark, had been in, Mark had been in several shows at the RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company, for example, where he, he had not been comfortable because he'd been dressed in things that were like fancy dress. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where he couldn't undo the buttons of a doublet to show he was stressed or was going to get undressed because there weren't any real buttons. They were either press studs or it, they were just false or, you know, this is the tradition from the 1970s mm-hmm. and 80s, basically, you know, that um, the idea of doing historical dress realistically, apart from Barry Lyndon, which, of course, is the film that everybody quotes from that period, quite rightly, but that was a rarity, you know, mm-hmm. and there, this era that you're very much at the centre of, where people are seriously looking into historical dress, both on uh, historical sites and in film more now. I think people are trying a bit harder. And I think partly that is because of the the colour on our television sets, of the realistic, Mm. you know, approach of the camera quality, Mm. you know, so you can see everything really well. But, But as I say, when I went to the Globe, even in 95, we were very nervous of the idea of doing Elizabethan dress. And so I, um, Mark said to me, I'm going to give you £500. Well, it wasn't very much then, actually. £500, can you come back to me in three months? And can you uh, tell me if, A, it's possible for us to attempt the rip something authentic and I hate that word at the end there is no such thing as authentic mm-hmm. we all know something yeah. authentic it involves a time machine exactly. you know and even even a surviving piece of dress 
unless we have the body intact and all the clothes they wore on a particular day and we know why they bought them, where they bought them from, how much they paid for them, you know, and, and I mean, we can get close to some of those things yeah. most of the time, but not all of them, yeah. very rarely. Maybe the Swedish wedding things, but yes. they don't even know which silk hoop went underneath which, you know, um, Sophie Magdalena's yeah. wedding dress or Louisa Ulrika's um, coronation, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting. We, we very rarely have the whole authentic person and outfit. So, um, so anyway, I went off to, 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 to see if I could answer Mark's question, because he said, I'm not going to wear fancy dress. And it's mm. very interesting, that, because we're now already talking about history, because I went there and the end of 95 and I left in 2005 and have not been back since mm. and except for when we went back to revive 12th night and do Richard the third four years ago no six years ago um but apart from that they've really dropped that policy at the moment at the globe mm. you know so we're talking about a little a few shows we did mm -hmm. seven shows over 10 years that's all out of 60 odd so again you know that that informs my whole view of history, that statement, because um, I do think that history is, is, is it, it's a series of memories, of interpretations, of myths, of stories. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's not truths very often, no. you know, that we can't, you know, my brother and I cannot agree on things that happened to to us in our childhood we have entirely different stories about the same events mm -hmm. and i think you'll find that so so um we're talking about a period in the globe's history that's been blown out of all proportion <laughs> but it was it's it's funny so, um because it's the the concept of the globe though it, you know it, it's blown out of proportion as you you would be the one to make that statement because you know you're the woman behind <laughs> behind those roughs um yeah but i remember because i was in undergrad and um in the 2004 to 2008 mm -hmm. and in 2006 i did the study abroad program with my costume theater and costume department that was mm -hmm. you know costume history focused and my professor was so excited because we were going to go to the globe and we were going to get to see the globe with actors in Shakespearean dress, you know, of the time period, and we could get that whole immersive experience. And we saw, um, I want to say a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, but that's obviously not the right one. Um, oh gosh, which one was it? It's, um, a Shakespeare remember. play? It was, but the way the designer had designed it, because this was obviously right after you had left, um, they designed it in in the way of the movie a funny thing happened on the way to the forum so it was very bright 1960s greco-roman oh, cool. fashion <laughs> and it was very slapstick it, it i can't i can't remember what the i think it was comedy of errors yes was it i think so yeah I think that rings a bell yeah and exactly. she was so confused i was about to say yeah. you know julius caesar yeah. but <laughs> no because it was a comedy see, it was great funny thing you see for him, it's anyway. you know that it's a very I, do, I you know i don't want to be too outspoken about it i am very opinionated about it mm -hmm. and uh, there are many there are many different opinions um 
but basically, you know, there there are lots of people who want to work in the globe as professionals. Mm-hmm. More and more, it gets more and more well known and prestigious. Yeah. Um, and they're directors and actors and designers. Uh, but we live in a world where uh, we're used to a a director. Uh, their production being um, recognisable because of their style, because mm. of how they do Shakespeare. Mm. So it is a great affront to many directors that they might not be in charge of that idea, mm. that their production might not be notable by its look. Oh, what time period did you set it in? You see, you say, you know, you set it in the 1960s. Everyone goes, oh, that's the 1960s um, comic, Comedy of Errors. You know, I... Yeah. So the globe challenges all that, and it is not an empty space in which to imagine a whole world. Mm-hmm. It's a very busy full space of Elizabethan world view, mm-hmm. only it's half finished, which is the other miserable thing about it, that the auditorium was never fin- has never been finished, so mm-hmm. it's very fair, and it makes the stage decoration look very fancy in a way that I don't personally think it, that contrast isn't intentional even. Yeah. So it is very confused. Uh, most productions there are very confused. So my preference there, because I'm a bit of a purist, in case you haven't noticed, yeah. is to see productions in modern dress uh-huh. so that the whole audience and the actors on stage are from the same world yeah. within an Elizabethan theatre or that you put people as close as you can mm-hmm. into Shakespeare's world visually. Yeah, so it's immersive one way or the other, basically. Yeah, exactly, and you're Mm -hmm. part of that. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, and, and, you know, what I did cost a lot of money. It comes down to that as well. Mm -hmm. It costs a great deal of money, and, and, you know, it's much easier to do a sort of fancy dress version of Elizabethan, and that Mm -hmm. is what I've seen a lot of there lately. You know, and and I feel sorry for the audience because they don't know. No. So they get their tickets, they're excited to go to the Globe, mm-hmm. and they believe what we put in front of them. Yeah. Like, you know, like visitors to historic sites, they believe the yes. dressed interpreters. And it doesn't matter whether, yeah. you know, they're the people wearing the not-so-authentic clothes in Williamsburg or the people like Mark Hutter, mm-hmm. who you believe has stepped out of Doctor Who's TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> The general public don't know the difference. No, they don't. Because, yeah. and why should they? Because, do you know what I think? I think the audience or the public are innocent. Mm-hmm. They're innocent. Well, none of us should expect them to know anything, and they trust us, yeah. whether we're in the world of entertainment or the world of historical interpretation. Yeah. And I, I personally think it's a shame that more people don't feel strongly about that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about our ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about our families yeah. thousands of years ago. And I think the problem is that, I don't know, we've lost... Sorry, I don't want to kind of just moan. <laughs> go, go for it. This go is fascinating. It. Can I just read out my favourite thing, hang on, that Mark Ryland said recently about what sure. we do here? Sure. Hang on. I think I sent you this, but I think maybe it's a nice thing to include. So I'm just going to read out... I asked all of our three patrons to write something for the back cover. Oh, lovely. Because somebody told me, Jenny, it's really good if you do that because we're having them all shrink wrapped. And apparently it means if there's, you know, people will just look at the back. Mm -hmm. I 
thought because patterns of fashion if you look at your old ones there's nothing on the back yeah, yeah. So, it's still just the uh, iconic cover and everyone oh yeah knows. oh yeah 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 actually enough it's the it's the same size only it's 32 pages thicker than the last two books Yay. and i'm stressed because i'm on the threshold of postage mm. <laughs> thing i think we'll get away with it um but it's quite a, a thick not heavy but it's a thick book and several of my colleagues were saying, Jenny, can't we have another 16 pages? There's not enough room. And I'm going, we have to self-edit. You know, we have yeah. to stop. We have to stop. Yeah. You have, like, you want to put all the projects in, but at one point, <laughs> yeah. you got to cut a yeah, hoop because you have two other hoops that are very similar. Out. And it's yeah. just, it's okay. That's right. I mean, the thing is, you know, there's, I had to, I had prepared a, a whole construction sequence mm -hmm. of a pair of the stays, which are in our collection, and of a pair of pocket hoops, and I I couldn't get them in. I just left them out because I thought, well, they stand alone. Uh, I put the patterns in, yeah. but not construction sequences, and I thought, well, I might publish those separately. Yeah. But you know, it, it's always painful to oh, leave yeah. things. Anyway, we asked our patrons to write things, mm -hmm. and um, Sir Roy Strong uh, wrote, you know, a very simple thing that's a bit kind of, it's a bit embarrassing, really, because it's not <laughs> true. Well, he said, this is the history of dress as we've not known it, hands-on and rooted in the study and craft dissection of surviving garments. The results so far are a revelation, and we're only at the beginning. Now, whereas I think he, he, I know what he, it's, he's, you know, he's saying that his generation didn't study clothes in quite the detail that we've been, yes. you know, analyzing the whole construction. And that's something I know you guys have done for the women's wear as well. But, you know, it's no harm for him to be, no. it's a bit hyperbole. But this is what I love, which is what Mark's written. And, and Vivian's written a lovely thing about um, there's so much to learn from how people dressed in the past clothes were not cheap they were made to last and were altered and repaired until fit only for the rag bag that's and then she goes on about the school but mark wrote this listen the school of historical dress has grown so naturally and passionately out of a true love of its founders a love of clothing and its relationship to the human body the individual and society, both in the past and present. It is a love for true colour and fabric, for patterns, stitching, cutting, for luxury and necessity, for the stories especially which an historical dress can tell. It is a love for our ancestors and the gifts they can give us when we look with careful, patient eyes at the remnants that survive of their once vibrant lives. It's so if you know That's hard. That, that last sentence is like, uh, I think it's yeah. iambic pentameter, like mm -hmm. it's poetry, it you is. know. Yeah. yeah, the gifts they can give us when we look with patient, careful, patient eyes at the remnants that survive of their once vibrant lives. I can hear like the, the dun, 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 dun. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm like, my God, he's got it. He always has, you know. Yeah. He, 
yeah, he's a very, he's a close friend and he gets us. He mm -hmm. totally gets us. He's just commissioned an artwork for us to put in the front hall of the school here uh, but from a sculptress who makes things out of old tin and um, uh, recycled materials. But they're really magical and they're kinetic and they uh -huh. like And apparently this one has sound as well and it's quite big. They've asked <laughs> take one of the pictures off the wall and, and apparently it's about the art of getting dressed oh that'll be awesome that <laughs> so amazing yeah yeah so um anyway let's go back sorry yeah. <laughs> so, so i basically when mark asked me to go off and see whether i thought we could achieve anything worth doing mm -hmm. in terms of you know making an elizabethan show i i thought i thought i'll just stick to the building you know i'll I'll stick to the fact that they made the building out of, you know, organic materials, mm -hmm. oak, pine, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that they constructed the globe, a lot of it anyway, with the original tools and techniques. Uh, so I thought, we'll try and do that. And obviously the shape of the globe, um, uh, you know, they tried to make it a, a, into a, a geometrically close to the real globe although we now think that the actual globe was a little smaller mm. but no one's going to rebuild it now are they no mm. it is what it is <laughs> um and and that we try and get the context right so those are my four c's which is also on the back of the book oh. but it's so i've slightly changed the title and you see i've called it the content cut construction and content here yeah. at the top Subtitles different, yeah. just subtly, because these to me are the four elements of dress. Mm -hmm. These words that begin with C. That if you get the content right, which means the fabrics, the sewing threads are all less plied in this period, the interlinings, the you know, if you try to get yeah. close to the original sort of fabrics, and you'll know as well as I do that with modern fabrics, that's quite tricky. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. uh, and my days of cutting old fabric up, got, you know, I try not to do that mm -hmm. often anymore. Although I have, I have in the past, she's <laughs> confessing to some sh <laughs> shocking secrets with Ginny Tiramani. <laughs> if you look at the any of the old photos of the original Twelfth Night production in two thousand and two. The ruff that Mark's wearing as Olivia is is a piece of 1590s needle lace. Uh, well, if anybody's going to handle that, it's you. <laughs> the thing is that, hang on, in, in 2002, I still didn't really know how. Uh, I mean, you could buy it in antique markets. Oh, God. Um, you could buy it, you know, and not for that much money. Oh. I mean, it's like that in America, but that's yeah, the thing. Like that here. If, you, if you have those things put in front of you, I'm not the only one, as you know. Film no. designers, no names mentioned, but some film designers, I see them at antique markets and textile markets in England sweeping up things mm -hmm. and, oh, you know, knowing Down Abbey was famous for that. Yeah. I mean, we, we use mm -hmm. antique lace. I buy antique lace from Etsy all the time. Usually it's Edwardian to use because it's the closest I can get to actual 18th century lace. Um, yeah. 
and you yeah. just you just don't have anything yeah. like that available yeah. today and i don't feel bad sure. about i usually don't cut it i usually try and like keep mm -hmm. it in mm -hmm. in, yeah. in a piece mm -hmm. um but it lends that certain bit of something to the costume, yeah. so mm -hmm. I, yeah, I don't have a problem with yeah. what you've done. <laughs> it's just the idea of finding 1590s lace and yeah, that and old portobello road or something's you know, just incredible. A scalloped edge, which is what I wanted. It was like, you know, it was hard to resist. I wouldn't do it now. I yeah. wouldn't do it now. I've managed. Last time we managed to do something out of a combination of new lace from Italy, and. Um, probably as you say an early 20th century piece that was a very very good version mm -hmm. uh, but but in Jamestown recently I met a lovely woman called Laura um, whose cut work and needle lace is simply I mean it's as good as some of our collection that's real wow. I mean it's like yeah. she's the only person I've met who can really make linen lace that fine Ooh. and uh, I would try and tempt her with making some for me if I was doing a big you know, I wouldn't be because I've kind of given up designing shows. But if I was in the position where I was doing a big movie or something mm -hmm. where you needed the close up, yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. I'd be very tempted to ask somebody like Laura to mm -hmm. to to make it. You know, because she's she's very rare in that she's got the skills and the passion for it. Mm -hmm. It's it's very rare that. Mm -hmm. But um, but uh, the problem with what I did in two thousand two is that if you starch and set and wash and restarch. A piece of 1590s lace over and over again for 200 300 performances Oof. not once a week even because mm. it's been sweated into and got white makeup on it then um it obviously is is going to not last that long yeah. uh, it exists as an object which is really interesting like and now it's like don't touch it it's a it's like a museum object now mm -hmm. yeah but I do think that because of the age we live in, it's really hard to make calls on these things because, you know, we live in an age where we should be recycling everything. Mm -hmm. We should be repurposing everything, reusing it like you are, Lauren, for, for your costume. You know, it's like, well, isn't that what we should all be doing? Buying yeah. less new cheap things and lovingly recycling and reusing and adapting old things, which is what I did in my... You know, when I was a teenager, not a sob story, but we didn't have much money at home. Uh, we were not doing very well, my family, when I was a teenager. And my dad was quite ill. And so I'd go to the village jumble sale. I don't know what you call them there. Yeah, but like, yeah, sales, yeah. garage sales. Yeah. yeah. And I would, this is in the 19, early 1960s. And I would buy, because there were lots of them, like circular uh, 50s skirts, mm -hmm. dance skirts, and I would recut. I, I remember recutting one to make a Beatles cape when Hard Day Night came. A Hard Day's Night came out, and all the Beatles were wearing those sort of Spanish capes. Yeah, oh, cool. And I got a hat from a fancy dress shop. So I was making like really fashionable looks out of cutting up 19. And I cut up some 1930s things, one of which I've still got, and made it into a, a sort of midi skirt. And I have a photo of me wearing it. Now, that, to me, was recycling. Yeah. But you could say that I was butchering 90, you know. But the clothes weren't old when you but, bought them. Well, how no. old is old? Well, what is historical? Yeah, I, yeah. That, that's, that's fair. You know, I, yeah. Any, so, so if you say, well, what age? I mean, I know 
in England, antique used to mean more than 50 years old, or did it used to mean more than 75 years old? Mm -hmm. And then it meant more than 50 years old recently. Yeah. Now, you can just put an arbitrary date on it, but, or is it more important? And this is, we're, we're talking, I'm talking too much as usual. <laughs> you have to chop this up. But, you know, is it, I would propose that the, the, if you're informed, the important thing is to know that what you're recycling or repurposing is not that rare, mm -hmm. and that you're not you're not kind of butchering something that is of its day, whether it was 1995 or 1695 that you're not destroying something that actually should be kept because it's unusual or, yeah. or, 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 yeah, it's, and that is an almost impossible call quite often. It can be. I mean, I get what you're saying because I have two, um, Edwardian late Victorian cotton petticoats. Mm. I bought them at a vintage store that was closing down. I bought them both for $20, mm. you know, dirt cheap. They fit me. I yeah. wear them. Yeah. I don't feel bad about it because they're just cotton petticoats. You can find them everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not, even though they're old and there is value in, in antiques. Sure. There's a lot of them around. There's yes. a lot of them around. So if I wear these and yeah. Yeah. I use them and I love them and I care for them and I wash them and they help make my recreations better, you know, I'm giving them a second life. But but how would you feel yeah. if you tacked another 300 years onto those petticoats but and see, they were 400 years old? But that's you just would not be wearing them. I wouldn't be wearing them, but because that that goes into oh. the whole, it's yeah. rare and it needs to be preserved Probably because, because of the age. a lot of them age. were worn to death by people 100 years on from yeah. there. Going to masquerade parties, yeah, having and, a good time. And, well, it's true, there are there is a lot of cotton underwear left yeah. from the last 150 years even. But, you know, I I think now, I mean, we have a different approach to our history in that, you know, we do have these things called museums and collections yeah. that are supposed to be guarding our, our history. Exactly. You know, but I'd still agree with Hilary Mantel. Uh, do you know the English writer who wrote Wolf Hall? Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've read it a long time ago, and I've yeah. obviously seen the... Well, she gave a big public lecture called the Reese Lecture last year. Was it last year? In England. And there was one phrase in this lecture that I loved. She said that to her, history was what gets stuck, I think is the word, but you, it would be online if you want to look it up. Yeah. History is what gets stuck in the sieve when the centuries run through it. I and I think... You know, that's the other thing is, 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 and that comes back to what selection do you put in a book of historical clothing? Yeah. Because, you know, that selection is that mm -hmm. they then become the uh, celebrity stars of the world. I'm very aware of that. It doesn't matter whether they're absolutely gorgeous or whether they're kind of average, but they will still become kind of very famous superstars mm -hmm. if they're in a book like Patterns of Fashion. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because, because they were the ones people know mm -hmm. and, yeah. Yeah. So, well, the, um, 
Ma- I don't know if you know the the costumer uh, before the automobile. Her name's Maria. Oh, and yes. She's from. I've yeah. never met her. I I follow her on Instagram. Yeah, I think she's marvelous. She but is. I'd love her, and I was hoping she was coming to our conference in Munich. But I, I don't know. I'm not, sad that I can't not, come to your conference. She's not. <laughs> oh. Sadly, no, she's not coming. But, but she, I. So maybe I'll meet her one day. You, you, you will, and you should. She's lovely. Like she is. She's super nice. She's so nice. Yeah. But she made um, the 1870s silk uh, outfit from. She's made a couple things from from patterns of fashion, and mm-hmm. and it's just it's so funny because she, well her proportions are so beautiful that whenever uh-huh. she wears yeah. it. Everyone always yeah. knows exactly what the gown is and where it's from. And she's worn that blue silk every, 1870s almost every, almost every year. And every year it's yeah. stunning. But yeah. it's, it's fascinating because it is like she makes these beautiful things, but they're all from patterns yeah, of fashion. Other people them. have made oh. them too, but it's just yeah. the yeah. iconic yeah. aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. And she's very good. At, she's very, she has a period, she seems both for the 18th and 19th century mm-hmm. to and now early 20th century. She's got the eye to mm-hmm. adapt the shapes in a way that fit her perfectly. And that seemed to be, give the illusion of being correct. Yeah. Like someone could have drafted them for her in the period mm-hmm. um it is all i mean i do think it's interesting that whatever she does which is marvelous uh this is no criticism to any of us but when you look back on what you did 20 years later you often see a period in it of when you made it mm-hmm. and you cannot see it at the time because you're trying so hard <laughs> to be authentic mm-hmm. that you know, swear word, that you can't, well, you just, you can't, because we all have eyes that live in this world, mm-hmm. yeah. and and therefore, it is always a struggle with proportion. Mm-hmm. I think she's the best, her stuff is, you know, I've not seen anything better apart mm-hmm. from what my Luca does. You know, what Luca can cut yeah. has that too, that complete, you know, but that that the stuff of particularly the stuff he's done in Rome, mm-hmm. because the hairdresser there, mm-hmm. you know, the look is astonishing. The whole look, yeah, yeah. And and most of the world knows them through photo shoots. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the fabrics are not the ideal that he really, you know, he would yeah. always find. But when because they don't move, whereas you know, I love it when she puts little videos online mm-hmm. and. And you can see the fabrics moving in a yeah. in a way that I imagine it did in the past. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. we know there's no video. I mean, once you get into film, once you get yeah. into the 20th century, we can more or less tell how many petticoats somebody might have on or yeah. whatever. But the volume and weight and movement of layers is something, you know, we're all guessing, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Totally experimental. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's what's fun. I mean, don't you think that? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. What I love is the conversation with history. Mm-hmm. I'm having a conversation with history and playing. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's you one know. of the reasons why I did the, for a lot of people, controversial decision to bone Ooh. stays mm-hmm. from Baleen. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do it was because, I, well, one, I knew I was in a position where I could really, mm-hmm. I had the time. Mm-hmm. and the location to wear them, to understand yeah. them better. Yeah. I wanted to know what it felt like. What is the difference? Because mm. steel mm. boning is not the yeah. answer. 
read and wood, it it's it breaks mm-hmm. all the time. I didn't want my stays to break, and I didn't want to use plastic. I I didn't. I wanted to use. I wanted I to know. It's, a matter, it's only a matter of where you get the balloon from. I mean, yeah. Uh, thing and is, in America, I, it's not as big of a deal as it is in Europe. And, no, yeah, that's right. I mean, we did import a plate. Uh, we we got an Inuit group who uh, have a license to kill three whales a year, and I've forgotten what kind of whale it was. And we've still got some. It's probably a bowhead or a blue whale. It wasn't a blue whale. I think it was a bowhead. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, we cut it up here, and that was nice. But it wasn't fresh when we got it. What I'm very interested in is the question of how fresh was it when it got yeah. into suppliers. Yeah. And, and, you know, so we I just did a class with it actually and we people now know they give us you know they give us early 20th or 19th century bling there's a lot of that around both in rolls and you know already cut strip so I we're quite used to working with it but but it's old you know Mm -hmm. so it's not always as elastic as it would have been and nor are any nor is the baleen in any of the eighteenth seventeenth century garments, eighteenth century garments that I've handled. I don't handle many nineteenth century, I leave that to Luca, but yeah. but you know, it's it's that that fascinates me. So we wet it, we use it wet mm-hmm. and warm. Mm-hmm. But I just did a course where I cut a little bit for each student and wet it in warm water. And I, I said, Come on, I want you to do a back stitch through it, you know, on their samplers. And um, yeah, I, I I wanted them to. Do, we we often do samplers on our courses. You know, we, we haven't got time to get people to make a whole garment. Yeah. I remember all the techniques, so they go away with having practiced all of them. Uh, and I I wanted them to sew this balloon quickly onto their samplers. I said, <laughs> you've not got many, and they just they screamed. Yeah, they screamed because. You know, the first student said it's like butter. It's just like sewing through. It's mm-hmm. like ridiculous. They had no concept of that. And of course, if you, you know, in the seventies, all we had was metal boning for everything. Yeah. And you know, of course, I realised very quickly in the theatre that I wouldn't wear a pair of, you know, and heavy. And because the 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 metal boning, the modern metal boning, is even heavier than it was in the you know, early 20th or 19th century for those few, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those those stays and corsets that had it in. Um, uh, it, but, you know, if you made an 18th century pair of stays with wide metal, ah. it's so heavy. And yeah. that's, you know, and it's ungiving. And why would anybody want to wear that? I wouldn't wear it. And mm-hmm. I was up at college that, you know, if you wouldn't wear what you're putting somebody else in, if you couldn't justify, you know, making, um, you know, making somebody wear something in a film or on stage, mm-hmm. then you should think twice. Yeah, You absolutely. should not make another person, especially when they've got to perform. Mm-hmm. So it might be awkward to wear or strange or difficult, but it's, it's got to be needed. Yeah. And I could never persuade anybody i wouldn't you know that metal bone stays or bodices i found that word you'll only find the word bodice in here i think once yeah and it's it's for a specific garment which is i'm curious to see what it is because i i um um going into patterns of fashion i i with the whole stays thing i did some rabbit hole research about 
what are jumps versus waistcoats versus stays versus core versus corset versus bodice and trying to figure out what they were calling what in the 18th century as well because um Mm -hmm. i'm I'm excited to see what your all's research has well we haven't gone obviously we we've our cutoff is 1795 Mm -hmm. here at the moment we're working on patterns of fashion six and seven Mm-hmm. So, uh, we and we I I really want them both the next two out in four years. So in two years, Claire and I will have got book six done. Mm. I'll be two and a half years. But you know we know what yeah. we're doing now. We've got a team. We've got a setup here. That we've works. got our building. We've got our lovely building, which was a big struggle to get ourselves a lovely building, and we've got it now. Mm-hmm. So we can we can get on now. Uh, but then uh, after book seven, I've got one planned on Renaissance, clo- medieval and Renaissance clothing. That's, a, that's very important. But also Luca is working on the 19th century with a few Janet patterns, but mainly his own. Mm. So we're trying to decide whether to do uh, 1795 to 1840 or 50 as one book. With, with stays to corsets, that transition, and uh, going into crinolines. Yeah. Uh, or whether, or it could go to 1860 maybe, or even 1870. We can't decide what to do because then the second half of the 19th century, which is what most people are crazy about, yes. either Regency or later, there are so many great shapes and there's mm. so much to put in. You know, yeah, we might do 1795 to... 1875 and then 1875 to 1905 and do bustles and crinolettes and you know we don't know whether to do them all together in two halves or whether to do all the corsets and then all the crinolines and bustles yeah i like the idea of having everything together yeah yeah well that's what we did with this one yeah yeah underpinnings together i i think i think it is a good good idea But we just we've been dithering about it really, um, yeah. So so we haven't tackled those questions thoroughly as you might <laughs> at <have>. all. <laughs> no, well, we have some, but but basically, I haven't. I didn't have room to go into jumps really in this no. book. Oh, this book seriously yeah. stiffened garments. Okay, so oh, I yeah. thought we were talking about our so, list of questions here. I'm sorry, <laughs> well, um, we haven't gotten to these yet. But, no. It's okay. No, so, patterns of fashion five doesn't yes. go into jumps, but patterns of fashion six, we have a pair of quilted jumps, mm. uh, pink ones that are really beautiful and quite early 18th century. So we're putting, I'm doing a pattern of those. They're going in the next book. Excellent. And we'll discuss, you know, because it seems to me, I mean, from the pictorial reference and what makes sense to me, and again, you know, no, not again. I don't think I've said this yet, but I, but I really, as a designer of so many years and as a culprit, I know that people take museum mountings, which they see a lot in publications, as the gospel truth, uh, yeah. and, and 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 the real thing in museums. And this is a whole area that really bothers me now because I'm old enough to have done it myself a lot and test I still have to sort of check myself you know mm-hmm. because because obviously I think amounting is usually a lie mm-hmm. it's a very gen- you know understandable lie 
And we've mounted our stays to go in patterns of fashion, you know, and that's quite scary because it's very easy to criticise other people, but we've done it ourselves. Yeah. Now I'm like, okay, criticise us because you can't, it can't be a, you know, I can't feel one way about other people's work and not be willing to accept the criticism at the same time. Yeah. But, um, you know, and that relates to the layers of dress, to what people would wear together on one occasion so most museums mount clothes of that come from different countries. So not even the same man didn't wear those breeches mm -hmm. with that coat and that hat and that waistcoat. But they don't even come from the same cultures. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the period is very disparate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think the Kyoto books mm -hmm. are particularly, uh, you know, culprits in the, <laughs> they just mounted them to look gorgeous and we all fell for it when it's those a books, gorgeous book well yeah but i mm. i would really debate i really question some of those propositions as what people wore oh yeah it's the the, the quotes and the the but, in, written information in the book is a little but, like oh yeah no no not just that i i question whether in the 18th century, let's just stick to, because mm -hmm. that's one of the centuries we're talking about, you know, some of those mannequins are photographed wearing clothes that I don't think any woman wore together. I mean, I oh, think... Oh, yes, 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 I understand what you're saying. They've got yes. the layers wrong, and their garments, you know, I don't think they're shown as they were worn. No, yeah, I see what you're saying. very careful how I say that, because I've used those books for years. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think before I started really thinking about it, you know, like pre-globe, yeah, sure, I just, I didn't even think about it. I just thought, oh, wow, that looks great. I'll use that, you know, for a character, yeah. that sort of outfit. But it seems to me that jumps had various, um, it seems at the moment, by the time we published book six, Abby, I may have changed my mind. <laughs> uh, you know, there are, as you know, you know, there are portraits of women wearing them under their stays. Mm -hmm. You know, warmth. Yeah. And I've seen that mounted. I've never seen, I wouldn't suggest anyone mounts a pair of real jumps and tied, you know, laced over the top of them a pair of stays, but, you know, or a gap, you know, yeah. I mean. Well, I think with jumps and with like the term, I, I feel like this is where the terminology is important and it gets fuzzy. Because yeah. when you, when I went looking for jumps or waistcoats, and what survives versus what you see in imagery, especially um, Gros, like his yeah. paintings of women yeah. and, and what they're wearing. And then yeah. the references in medical books about people who are quote unquote invalids, who yeah. can't yeah. deal with the cold, wearing the flannel waistcoats yeah. for an insulating layer. It's it, it, it's one of those yeah. things where yeah. it, it's yeah. people, people, I think people are having a hard time going, so there are the pretty ones that survive, <laughs> you know, like the quartered men's embroidered yeah. caps that you never actually see in portraiture, but there seems to be a lot yeah. of them in museums. But yeah. then there's the functional garment itself that being so close to the human body, mm. there's no way those things would survive. Um, it's well, a, that's again to do with layers. Yeah. That I very often, and a few dead bodies bear it out, that, mm -hmm. that they're wearing a plain one under the fancy one for exactly yeah. that reason. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think we've just knocked out layers of clothing, as you mm -hmm. say,
because we can't see them in portraits usually. You know, that's what I mean, that the kings of Sweden and Denmark, luckily, were both injured and died in, in numerous yes. lineages. So we know that people wore them. But, you know, men were wearing waistcoats under doublets. Yeah. You know, and, and then under cassocks. And I think, you know, women were wearing waistcoats both over and under things, mm. as you said. And, and, and then the word changes. Yes. I mean, that's the issue, is mm. that words don't carry on for hundreds of years, meaning the same thing. Yeah. So then you have to go, like, on the radio this morning in England, the BBC Radio 4 had a little programme about, about corduroy, because corduroy, do you call it corduroy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah? like, it's really back in fashion. Even Marks and Spencers have got corduroy clothes this season. And um, the best pieces in our collection, actually, are a Bieber coat, mm -hmm. which I've also got the catalogue of. Um, and uh, we've got a pair of 19th century work, working, like, farmer's clothes in thick corduroy. But they sort of started saying, now this started as this was Fustian in the 18th century. <laughs> Philip Sykes, of course, has researched and written about that, and it was. But fasting in the 16th and 17th century doesn't seem to me to be the same thing. No. And then Sebastian and I have put in the introduction, with no room to talk about it, an 18th century sample card of fabrics called fustians, futans. Mm. And they're not all what we would call fustian in England in the 16th and 17th century. So the whole, yeah, the, the kind of whole thing about language starts to split off mm -hmm. until, uh, you know, anybody who's only got a basic understanding of dress history, like an art student who's done costume and learnt some rules, is going to get it wrong, obviously, because you can't apply the same word unless it's specific. Yeah time and different countries even maybe I don't mm -hmm. you know so again we've done we've done a two-page vocabulary in five languages with period words at the back of this book are to you help serious mm. that's incredible but it's that's not awesome. a glossary it's not a glossary but they're all they're mainly words we use on the patterns so that mm. anybody who's reading a pattern and doesn't read English well yeah and they're thinking, what are they talking about? Can look up that word at the back in their own language. I mean, we've done French, English, German, Spanish, Italian, a bit of Swedish and a bit of Dutch. Mm -hmm. That's all we had room for. That's, but um, I think it will help people because yeah. we don't, in a way, the glossary, a glossary to be good has to be, in my opinion, illustrated and very long. So mm -hmm. I keep avoiding. Sometimes <laughs> other people like you put them in their books mm -hmm. you know but I don't like doing them myself I'm scared of glossaries but I don't like hmm? oh we were like glossaries did we, glossary? did we, we did troubleshooting did you have a list of words have you got haven't you I've got your book in the other room yeah. Is we, there um, like we did troubleshooting um, yeah and we explained the words as we go along in the book but we didn't do actually yeah do a glossary. yeah because I'm, right. I, our, our, I, yeah our publishers were we had to find a balance of a book that had academic support in what we were saying because obviously in the community it has to be there yeah. but also yeah. a book that wasn't academically heavy because <laughs> that's not what our publishers they wanted do. a how-to book yeah. yeah so so yeah 
So things like glossary. Yeah, we talk about silks and stuff, but we don't go into the nitty gritty textiles. We pretty much say there are other books for that. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a bibliography. Yeah. 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 Put things like Florence Montgomery in the back. Exactly. It's like textiles in America, 1600 to 18 something. Janet Arnold told me. So what I could just quickly go back to do the link between Janet and the school and the books. Yes, please. We can do that. So, um, so when Mark asked me to do my globe research project, mm-hmm. I talked to my friend Vanessa Hopkins, who is like the designer and has been a merchant of historical patterned fabrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to be a BBC costume designer, and has this incredible collection with her husband Alan, which we've been publishing. Do you know our two books on that waistcoats and footwear? I, you, I have footwear. Yeah, you have footwear. Isn't it right naturally? Um, there. <laughs> <laughs> gave that to me. <laughs> my mum's my in that book. The of, um, we used a lot of all our family photos for all the 20th century oh, stuff. Awesome. Alan and Vanessa used a lot of their family um, for the 19th century stuff. But uh, my mum's in there photographed very badly by my dad on their honeymoon <laughs> wearing walking shoes so she's in the 1950s section mrs tiramani you can see (laughs) but anyway so those that their collection's incredible they're doing headwear at the moment yeah oh amazing but they've got 950 hats and caps so what's been difficult is deciding which ones to put in the book i I mean it's a huge collection it's ridiculous they've got a huge luckily Edwardian house and we have some things here and we borrow them to teach with mm-hmm. um you know so we use them for teaching but we haven't got storage proper for them yet so yes yeah, so um so Vanessa knew Janet Arnold she's okay. Vanessa's a bit older than me and she said to me look ring Janet up and I'll ask her for help with the globe you know I said, I can't. I'd use Janet's. We had to take Janet's books yeah. to college. We were given that, we were told we had to take Nora War and Janet on and some set design books and lighting. And um, so, you know, I was like, she's an icon. I can't talk to her. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that because, because I never thought of it before. Anyway, Vanessa gave me her phone number and I phoned her up. And it turned out she lived up the road from me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she lived less than a mile and a half away oh from me. But she was already very sick with leukemia. Oh. And so I did get to know her, um, and she got to know me a bit. But it was mainly through letters and phone calls. We talked a lot on the phone. Mm. But she wasn't very well. Yeah. So I only met, I think I met her, I think I met her three times. Yeah, three times. Um, And I'm sad it wasn't more, but really my mentor, my teacher, who died last year, was Santina Levy. There's no question. And we came together and started the school when Janet died because Mm. Santina was Janet's executor with Wendy Gifford, who's now still with us, one of our trustees. So basically I phoned Janet up and she said, well, have you got my books? And I didn't know what she meant because I'd only got the first two. And I was asking her about Elizabethan. And because I hadn't done any shows in Elizabethan dress, because I'd avoided it for years, (laughs) I didn't 
know, about Patterns of Fashion 3 or mm. Queen Elizabeth's Wardrobe Unlocked. Yeah. Um, so she said, well, you've got to buy my books and read them, and then I'll talk to you. No! That's the answer we should have, because <laughs> we have yeah. this all the time. Listen, every class we do, this happens. Every class we do, where it's a subject that either Janet or we've published, it happens. That's why I've done the poster. Yeah. I know now that people seem to be getting it. I'm worried about it. People don't seem to read. They scan. You know, everyone scans. So, yeah, I'm with you on that, totally. got to get to read on because it wastes time apart from anything else you know it's like I want you to come here and do classes you know so that people I want people to come so they learn things we have to show them that you really can't get right in a book because there are things that I think you need to you know and also I love to get people to work with really good material Mm -hmm. like we won't let people bring their own fabric Mm -hmm. or materials nice we insist on giving them everything because, I, you know, otherwise I, I, I'd just send them all home again, probably. Well, um, yeah. So. Oh, I, I was just going to agree with you. It's, it's like in our book, you know, we use uh, the use heavy use of silk thread. It was my choice. Um, cause that's my personal preference because I don't like modern cotton thread and I, I can't stand it. And I don't, at that point to me, I'm like, I don't care if I should technically be sewing this cotton cap with cotton thread. That cotton thread sucks. <laughs> I want well, to be silk. Problem. Yes, and, but you and, know the problem. The yeah. problem is that people like Bernie and Trowbridge have reconstructed linen threads, S-ply, 2-ply. I like their linen threads yeah. very much. I, we use other ones. We've got a great supply. Oh, use linen thread. In it. Yeah, but hang on. Nobody has reconstructed a decent hand sewing cotton thread. Modern cotton threads are made to use on a sewing machine. Mm-hmm. That's why they're said plied. Yeah. They're not for hand sewing. That's the problem, I I think, anyway. I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think it's just really, well, nothing's really created anymore for hand sewing. No, so no. It, the struggle we use whole twist for everything. Yeah, I do too, yeah. At least it has some, but uh, and we buy. Do you know Divya yarns? We buy silk floss, which is really mean, and we don't give it to people who've only just started hand sewing. <laughs> you know, it, it just would scare people off, even for embroidery. It, I find it a bit of a nightmare because, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I've never got nice hands. I've never got manicured hands, and it catches on things. Yes. But, but you know. Um, yeah, thre- yeah, threads are, is the last. It's the last frontier, really. But I agree with you about cotton. It's 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 difficult to find um, decent cotton thread. It, it it'll probably become very easy in a hundred years' time when it's become so antiquated that somebody you know decides to research it and reconstruct it. But yes. that doesn't really seem to have happened yet, does it? No. Interesting. Anyway, to have more of a re. re- um renaissance of of hand sewing that's what we need yeah yeah it won't ever go away completely i don't think but uh anyways back to janet arnold so she also told me quite soon after that in the letter that the other books what i needed to do was she said collect every auction catalog of clothing and textiles Mm -hmm. you can get your hands on because you'll see the things that pass like ships in the night through the public 
domain and go into private house you know you'll you'll gather more of a library of objects mm -hmm. usually and you must buy Florence Montgomery which I found in a I found it remainded immediately for five pounds I was amazed it was in one of our local shops anyway it's a I, I, I still enjoy that book a lot it's mm -hmm. a very kicking off point so anyway so I phoned Janet back when I'd read her books and read her books and I did because of what she said to me I read Pants of Fashion 3 cover to cover I literally sat down and read it yeah I can't swear I read every word of Queen Elizabeth's wardrobe unlocked I read most of it um uh but I don't know that I did I actually maybe I did I definitely read both of the inventories from start to finish <laughs> Because I just found them fantastic. Oh, absolutely. And um, and they really gave me, when you read them entry by entry, they give you a real impression of what she had in one particular year. Mm -hmm. You know, they literally, it's like opening the doors of the wardrobe. So uh, I rang her back and then she said, uh, well, you see, you know, she obviously thought this girl's not going to go away. And she said, <laughs> I said, listen, now I've got your Pants Fashion 3. I didn't tell her I'd coloured it in. Hmm. <laughs> Why did you colour it in? <laughs> I coloured it in. Actually, I coloured it in. I haven't coloured it all in. I've still got it. But <laughs> as I started to find out about the clothes and realised what amazing colours they were, yeah. I I used it as... I, I wanted to see them in colour. And because yeah. all the pictures in the book of black and white and quite yeah. gray. Yeah. I was like, oh no, I've got to colour the illustrations. I didn't colour the patterns in, I coloured in the illustrations. Yeah, yeah. And they sort of came to life for me. Yeah. But you know, um she she said I'll write to I said I want to go. I'm planning to go to Munich, which is why it's so lovely that we're there next week with yeah. our I want to go to Munich and Nuremberg because I could see that the best clothing like out of England was there. Mm -hmm. the, the, the two collections were great range, mm -hmm. particularly of menswear, because if you design Shakespeare, you know, there's only a couple of women in each play, let's yeah. face it, yeah. to men's clothing. And I knew I had to get on top of that first. So she wrote me introductory letters, one of which my friend who's now the curator in Munich, Johannes Peach, who I'm doing this conference with, yeah. So Johannes, when he became curator about five years ago, he went through the archives and he found this letter that Janet wrote to Frau Borkop, Dr. Borkop, who was the curator then. And I've I've got a photocopy of it. It's and it's really funny because it's quite patronising about me. <laughs> a girl, I think I was forty. Yeah. But Janet says quite understandably, you know that. I, I'm paraphrasing. I haven't got it to hand, but she says something like, "You know, she she's a she's a costume designer. She thinks she's going to make things by hand." <laughs> and I think there's an exclamation mark. <laughs> and so she thought I was a bit nuts, actually. And and uh, she 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 loved. There was a Renaissance dance group 
that she really loved what they did and the fact they were dancing in their reconstructions of clothing. But I don't think she'd ever come across anyone who seriously wanted to make everything by hand. Uh, although I had, I had during that couple of months met Mark Goodman of the Tudor group here and I, I was so thrilled by Mark. I felt he was like the real thing and his clothes were real. And it was meeting him that made me think I could do it mm-hmm. and then say to her, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by hand. And it took us two years at the Globe yeah. to have money because we had no clothes year one. So we had to machine all the main seams yeah. and hand stitch everything for the first two years. We, did a, we had to produce a lot of clothes very quickly and on not much money. But, but what we noticed happened is that people were all saying that we were making everything by hand. And we knew we weren't, and it was embarrassing. <laughs> we just thought, well, let's try and do it. And then our first show, which was Julius Caesar, was a complete disaster because we had no timings. We didn't know how long it takes take to make a quilted doublet by hand, 56 buttonholes, because we weren't good at any of these things, and we were having trouble getting enough tailors in who yeah. could work quickly. You know, we kept getting people in. We thought hand sewing meant you sat there like this, you know, kind of listening to the radio and yeah. well, very slowly. And uh, and so it took a while until we produced a show by hand, you know, and could spend a bit more on fabrics uh, and be proud of what we did. Uh, and then we did maybe a couple of shows like that, three or four shows I'm proud of. Okay. Winter's Tale, I think The Winter's Tale was great. Mm. Obviously, the second Twelfth Night, I think, was great. Rich the Third and Rich the Second. There you go. That's four. Four shows. Mm, Yeah, four shows. That's it. So, um, uh, but anyway, I did get into the museums. Janet did help me. Mm -hmm. But then she died in 98. Yeah. And basically, I became very close friends with Santina Levy, the great, you know, ex-curator and keeper of costumes at the V&A. Okay the writer of Lacer History and of the Hardwick Murderers, who was really one of Janet's best friends. Mm. And I once, I said very casually to Tina, when she wrote to me when I left the Globe, I announced to every, all my friends, I'm leaving, I've had enough, I've been there 10 years. I feel like, you know, if I see another rough, I'll throw up. <laughs> <laughs> Almost an aversion therapy. Mm. I'd done too the same thing I wanted to do different things and uh, I, I, I'd always done the odd teaching in art schools and I said to Tina do you know what I'm not enjoying teaching in other places anymore because there's too many students that they started to make such big class sizes I felt I wasn't able to do tutorials and give enough teaching I said I want to start a school of my own when I retire and it was a joke mm-hmm. And I think I've got an idea of how I'd like to teach. I'd like to start a school when I retire. It was like saying, you know, I think I'd like to go to Mars. I mean, <laughs> no, it wasn't serious. Yeah, no, we, we know exactly I, what that's like. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> so Tina, Tina just, her nose wiggled because Tina had this sort of truth-seeking nose. And, <laughs> and she said that's what Janet wanted. And at that point, she showed me Janet's will. Oh. Uh, and 
uh, well, but 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 I'm, I've jumped a bit because that was like in 2006, seven, okay. 2005 when I announced I was leaving the Globe. Tina wrote me a letter in a card that had some lovely message about time and tide will wait for no man on the cover, some arts and crafts lovely thing. Um, and uh, she said. She wrote in this letter, I don't suppose you'd consider helping me finish Patterns of Fashion 4. Mm. And I read this letter and I, I had no idea that Janet had left anything unpublished. Yeah. And you sort of, I know that people, now I know that lots of people die with unfinished work. But then I sort of assumed that was it, that Janet had published everything she'd yeah. done. And so I, I said to Tina, well, I thought it was a ridiculous idea, me, you know, doing patterns of fashion. But I couldn't say no, because the way she put it, she said, you're my last hope, because the person who was going to do it was a friend of Janet's who was an artist. Mm. Um, and Millie's given it back after seven years. Mm. Yeah, Janet, it must have been 2005, six. Uh because, yeah, because uh, she says she can't do it. She doesn't know enough about clothes. She draws, but she mm. doesn't the clothes. So we looked at what Janet had left, and literally the week she died, she and Tina, in a little cheap notebook, had written notes for the person who finished my work, oh. which is heartbreaking. To, I don't know if you can imagine dying and knowing you're dying. That, that You know, she knew she had terminal leukemia. Yeah. And, and but literally the week before she died, sitting down with one of her best friends, with Tina, and writing a list, the, you know, of what I'd like someone to do. And the one phrase that I will share in that very heartbreaking document is that she wrote, and Tina just dictated, Tina didn't make it up, she just dictated, you know, Janet dictated it. Um, but amongst many instructions, she wrote, important, make every page attractive. All right, everyone, that concludes part one of Lauren and I's interview and conversation with Ginny Tiramani. We hope that you are enjoying listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it because we had a great time talking to Jenny. And uh, just another reminder for you all that the School of Historical Dresses, Patterns of Fashion 5, uh, rumps, stays, hoops, and all sorts of wonderful under bits and pieces from 1595 to 1795 is currently available for pre-order only at school of historical dress.org.uk. Um, it's available for pre-order. They've printed a very limited run. There are less than 2000 copies available. So definitely head on over there to check out, check it out and get your copy today. It'll be published on October 31st. So we'll get it in less than a month. Yay. Hooray. Other than that, tune in next week for part two. Don't forget to leave us a great review if you enjoy the show. If you don't enjoy the show, sorry. <laughs> um, you can also find us at AmericanDuchess.com, blog.americanduchess.com, Facebook and Instagram, both are American Duchess. Uh, we occasionally are on Twitter, but not really. And other than that, I hope you guys have an amazing week. And uh, yeah, take it away, Dandy. Black out Susan, for a, for a female. She's